So let's begin, please, in prayer. God, we're about to open up your word, this, this ancient word, this powerful word that began from just thoughts and minds from your heart. And then somehow, God, over time, you made sure they were inspired in men and women who wrote these down and put some things down right here that we could read ourselves. And God, we know that when we read these words, there's power in them. There's power to convict. There's power that moves us to action. There's also power here sometime, God, that causes us to feel embarrassed or awkward or ashamed. And God, I know this morning, this, this word that we're about to read I can do that to some folks. We're talking about that very sensitive subject, Lord, that you know has been a challenge and a problem for many. This issue of our gender and our sexuality. So we pray, God, that as we read it, that, 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 that your glove and your grace and your healing power will be unleashed upon those places in our life that are still sensitive and painful and wounded. And that you would set some of us free, God, who find ourselves in bondage. You would set us free to embrace who you created us to be in all of its glory of our sexuality, God. Your wonderful idea. We love you, God, and we trust you in this case. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the biggest stories in the world, in our news world for the past few years, have been particularly of two men. There are many that follow, but two men who just had sexual behavior that was totally inappropriate. The first was a man by the name of Harvey Weinstein, who was back in the news here just two weeks ago, uh, just last week, in fact, in Los Angeles courtroom, again, being tried for these uh, assaults, for these accusations against a long list of women. And then, uh, more, more recently than him, and has now gone on to be uh, wherever he is, uh, we have Jeffrey Epstein and his assistant, Gacilda Maxwell, who kind of helped groom women for his purpose in the political arena and the corporate world to satisfy contracts and for financial gain and everything for men. These two guys just kind of unloaded something huge. And when Harvey came forward, and this thing all kind of blew up years ago, some of you are going to remember that some female saw the opportunity to go onto Twitter and challenged any woman who had ever been inappropriately violated, assaulted, uh, harassed in any appropriate way to put the little hashtag me too and put it on Twitter. In a matter of days, there were over 500,000 stories that were posted. If you're watching online this morning, in real time, later on during the week, or you're in the house this morning, and you're someone who has or could today say, me too, I'm so glad you were here. And the first thing I want you to hear is, it's not your fault. I want to say it again. It's not your fault. Some of us here who've been around for a while remember when Hugh Hefner came onto the scene. And when, because of Hugh Hefner coming onto the scene, 
we now have at our fingertips the Playboy Kingdom, the Playboy Mansion, illicit sexual images with the click on your phone. It's just at the fingertip of everybody possible. There was a man by the name of Lee Strobel who visited Hugh Hefner before he died. And he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And Hugh Hefner said, you know, I believe in God, but I have a minimal faith in a minimal God because I want minimal interference in my life. Now, the question I asked you this morning, if you could rule the world, what would you do to get rid of sexual harassment, sexual abuse, sex trafficking, you name it, of any kind, what would you do to get rid of it? Now, across corporate America, there have been conversations like this, large and small business, because it is an issue. And if you started a new job somewhere, it was probably not unusual that you might hear about training on being able to recognize what sexual abuse looked like what sexual harassment looks like. And kind of the word that people come up with was this phrase of the ethic of consent. That you want to make sure that everybody knows the definition of what consent looks like. That someone agrees yes or they say no to any sort of sexual advances or interests you may have in them. And the challenge is to get everyone to agree to honor, honor consent. Yes or no. In your notes, number one, using someone's body for sexual gratification without their consent is an act of evil. Now, why? Why is it not just an act of evil, a heinous act of evil? It's because of what you and I have been learning in the Sermon on the Mount. That you and I, when you were born, you were given a little kingdom. And your kingdom begins in your body. And the first place you learn to rule over your kingdom is how you are in charge of your body. And when someone uses your body against your will to satisfy an appetite, to satisfy their own body in any sort of way for any sort of person. It is a violation of your kingdom, and it is evil. You can destroy a person's soul when you violate that ethic. Why is this so evil? Why is it so dangerous? Because of the connection between power and sex and will is so overwhelming. It causes so many challenges in our life. So here's the question. What kind of people do you and I need to be? What kind of person do I need to be? What sort of habits, what sort of spiritual disciplines do I need to have in my life so I can be a person who understands the ethic to honor consent another person's life. This is why this is so dangerous. In your notes, number two, 
Anyone can be enslaved by desire. Anyone. Enslaved by desire is a biblical phrase for a single word, lust. Lust is any time in my life where there's something I got to have, something that I want, and if I don't get it and I don't want it, I feel this. It's almost like an addiction. It's almost just like I just, I implode, I'm depressed, I'm sad because I just got to have it. And the reason this is so dangerous is that there are people, good people, Jesus-following people, smart people, very powerful people who publicly have an ideology. They're in a public position, and they say, I believe in the empowerment of women. I believe in the traditional sexual ethic. But privately, privately, there's abuse of power their secret shame, and their terrified victims because privately they have been enslaved by some sort of lust that has control of them. And we see it all over the place. We see it in political America. We see it in corporate America. We see it in entertainment America. We see it in sports America. Just a few weeks ago, an owner of an NFL franchise being forced to sell because of this innuendo as a part of the culture that he oversaw. We even see it in churches and in denominations. Here's a question I have for you. What sort of spiritual formation do you think Harvey Weinstein had and Jeffrey Epstein and Hugh Hefner and Gazilda Maxwell, what, what, what sort of spiritual formation do you think they had when they were growing up? Because I'll make you a promise. Everybody is, has a spiritual formation. Everybody's inside, your heart, your thoughts, your essence, who you are, is being shaped and formed, either on purpose or by accident, for good or for bad. What do you think was their spiritual formation? Let me give you the good news. One of the things that we're learning in the Sermon on the Mount, that you and I have been given the greatest opportunity in the history of the world, in the history of the human race, to offer our little kingdoms to be totally influenced by the kingdom of God, to have your spirit, to have your soul shaped by a man named Jesus, by his life, By his death and by his resurrection, he can form the inside of you to be who God really created you to be. So, the big question is, we're talking about our kingdoms and the sexuality this morning. Last week, we talked about anger. We talked about when to live in the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be a person who knows how to handle anger and reconcile? I hope you're working on that. But today it's about sexuality, and Jesus teaches right here some very profound words. Verse 27, chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
And if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is about asking a question, what does a good person look like? What does someone look like that's moving, making progress toward perfection of looking and moving to look more like Jesus? What does it look like to surpass the righteousness, the goodness of the Pharisees that he talked about here earlier in chapter 5? And so, regarding the area of sexuality, in our day, we say, well, someone who honors consent. You're a good person if you honor the consent thing in this sexual thing. Back in the day of Jesus, they would go back in time to the Ten Commandments. And they would say the Seventh Commandment, where it says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And they would say that someone who commits adultery would be a bad person, and anyone who does not commit adultery, they are a good person. That's what they would say. Now, what you need to understand here is that Jesus, in this context, is only talking to men. There really was, not. this, this is nothing new, this, this unfairness, this disparity between the sexes, this double standard for sex when it comes to men and women, it didn't just exist in our day. It's been around for a long time. In fact, this is what Roman law said, actually, in the days of Jesus. This is what Roman law said. If you should catch your wife in adultery, you may put her to death without a trial. But if you should commit adultery, men, she must not presume to lay a finger on you, nor does the law allow it. How many women are okay with that? I see women looking at their spouses going, not you, buddy. No, no, no. Not you. No. It wasn't fly. And Jesus is not saying, yeah, Jesus is countering that. Jesus is speaking totally opposite of that. Jesus is not even saying what many people in this room say, that if a man is looking at a woman lustfully, it's probably because the woman was asking for it. She was dressing too provocatively. She was leading him on. And Jesus is not saying that at all. See, you and I have these little kingdoms that are systems of personal power. And unfortunately, people who have power will abuse their kingdom to protect their power and their reputation and to gratify their lusts. We see it a lot today. Even in churches and denominations, we're seeing it. In your notes, number three, Jesus says, not on my watch. Lust is the responsibility of the one who lusts. Let me repeat that. Lust is the responsibility of the one who is doing the lusting. Now, Jesus here talks about this very important understanding right here in this verse. We need to unpack. And he's talking about looking. Whoever looks at someone Lustfully. Now, what does it mean by that? If you look right here at the text in verse 28, really in the Greek, he's using a present continuous participle. And so here's what he's saying. 
anyone who looks and continues to look and continues to look and continues to look, they are looking in a lustful sort of way. Now, Jesus is not saying anything bad about being looking at someone because you're attracted to them. He's not talking about attraction and non-attraction. Jesus is pro-sex. God invented it. God is pro-hormones. Jesus is pro-hormones. It is a gift from God to you. There's nothing wrong with sexual attraction. It's the way you were made. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, very toward the end of that, God says, you and I were made in the image of God, male and female, in that gender, in our sexuality, he made you. It's his gift to you. Your sexuality is a part of your identity. Now, that being the case, I'm going to push the pause button just for a minute, and I'm putting the Bible aside, and this is Rick Owen talking. And I want to speak to any grown-up in the room, online, or in the house who has the responsibility for a minor. You have authority over a minor in your household. And I want to point out to you that as a minor, they are not yet mature enough to totally rule over their little kingdom that is their body. They do not yet have the wisdom or the experience to make certain decisions about their little body. They need you to protect them from their immaturity and the changing winds and whims of the culture in which you and I live. And if you, parents, grandparents, you need to be the ones speaking into your children's life and engaging in healthy, age-appropriate, direct, honest, tender, loving, anatomically correct, scientifically correct conversations with them about their gender and about their sexuality, about who they are, and for you not to be shocked, not to feel overwhelmed when they ask your questions and say things, do not put burden upon them because of your own inability to handle the conversation in a mature way, and to have that with them. Because if you don't, the world will. And I have one more thing to say, and I know it's a sensitive issue. Parents, grandparents, you have this authority over someone. I'm asking you from the bottom of my heart, please, do not let these little ones, under your responsibility, under your watch, make a decision, a lifelong impact decision about the changing of their hormones, of their genitalia, when they are young, do not give them consent to do that until they are on their own, and then they have their, I know they have free will, and later on they can make that, if they want to do that, that is their call. But when it's under your watch, would you please, I lovingly ask, don't give consent, get them to wait. And I say that out of love for your kids. I'm not saying it about you. I just say it for love for your children. They're not ready. They don't know what they don't know yet. They don't know. Now, back to the scripture. Back to the text. Your sexuality is a gift from God, a constant source of mystery, wonder, and joy. 
Wherever you are in life, you're young, you're old, you're single, you're married. I'm in our place restaurant. I'm standing in the lobby. It's packed. It's jammed. I'm trying to find a place to sit to meet someone, but I'm just standing up. And I look down. There's this very attractive young woman standing right there. She looks at me and smiles, and I think I still got it. (laughs) And then she says, sir, would you like my seat? (laughs) And I realized I never had it. I never had it. But Jesus here, he's not talking about attraction and non-attraction. There's going to be this natural sort of attraction. That that, that is a gift from God. He's talking about the look. He's talking about who gives somebody the look. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The look? You know the look? Well, you you, you just kind of look. A couple goes to a restaurant. They're going out for an anniversary celebration. And a young woman comes to wait on them. And the husband notices her. And she's very attractive. And the man can't take his eyes off her. And he's just looking at her. And he's, he's, he's lusting and he's feeding his sexuality by just giving her the look. And the young lady notices it. She feels maybe a little embarrassed. Maybe she's feeling awkward. Maybe she feels power because she realizes the power she has over this man. She, she can manipulate him and get a bigger tip. Maybe she feels that. The woman looks at, and she notices too, the wife. But she's not going to confront her husband because she knows he'll deny it. And once he denies it, he'll just add to his sin of lying and also the damaging of their marriage. And he will think, you know what? I'm not committed adultery. But he has stepped out of the kingdom of God. Does anybody know what I'm talking about, about the look? Or am I just kind of talking to a bunch of naive people who have no idea what I'm talking about? (laughs) We all know what I'm talking about when I talk about the look. And I'm just going to bet that when I mention it, there are some of you automatically, you just felt some guilt, some shame, some embarrassment, some awkwardness. And when you talk about this subject, for so many people, they have it. So we need to stop right now, push pause again. And, and we're going to have a time of real honesty. We're going to step into the light, and we're going to have a mass confession of sexual fallenness. Okay? Are you excited about it? <laughs> here, here, so here, here we go. If you have ever committed a sexual sin of any kind, if you ever looked at something you should not have looked at, if you've ever flirted with the wrong person, if you've ever given the look, if you've ever on purpose tried to attract inappropriately the look, if you've withheld yourself sexually from your spouse to hurt them, if you've ignored your spouse sexually, if you've been wounded by not feeling sexually attractive, if you failed to talk to your kids about, in a healthy way about their sexuality, if you have a single sexual regret, if you have felt for a single moment that God could help you in this area of your life, If you have ever said the word sex, raise your hand. Yeah, online. You better be showing hands too, okay? Yeah. Hey, just just to be clear, if there's anybody in the room or online that's ever achieved perfection when it comes to their sexuality, raise your hand. Liar. Here's the point. Jesus is talking about something that's greater and deeper than the ethic of consent. In your notes, 
A healthy marriage, healthy relationships are built on consistency of solid commitment, three things, solid commitment, emotional engagement, and physical connection. All three. And even in a non-marital relationship, there's some measure of physical connection that's going to be there before you cross over to the other part of intimacy. In your notes, number three. Biblically, this is it. Number four. Number, excuse me, number five. Sexual intimacy is God's invention to unite two souls. That's the very end of Genesis chapter two. And the two will become one flesh. Sexual intimacy is the ultimate form of intimacy. It's God's gift to you. It's what separates your marriage from every other relationship that you have in your life. And marriage is a public declaration of a private, exclusive commitment to one person. It is a promise. And when I choose to get involved sexually intimate with someone who is not my spouse... I am making a promise with my body that my will cannot make. Let me repeat that. That when I get involved sexually intimate with someone that is not my spouse, I make a promise to their soul with my body that my soul and my will cannot and will not keep. That is why it is so damaging. That is why it hurts so much and causes so much pain in people's lives. So I'm asking you, with love in my heart, if you're someone right now, you can hear my voice. You may later in the week, middle of the night, you're watching this. If you're engaged in a sexual, intimate relationship outside of marriage, with love in my heart, I ask you to stop. Before God this morning, before you walk out these doors or you click off, you make a decision and say, no, no more. Jesus is clearly defining what it looks like to move, to progress, to the perfection that he called in his word, to be more like Jesus, to surpass the righteousness sexually of the Pharisees. He's clearly defining what it looks like to be goodness in this area of our life. And it's deeper, deeper, deeper than just avoiding sex without somebody that somebody's not I'm married to. It's so much deeper than that. Jesus gets provocative. He gets very provocative. He says right here in verse 29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Does that confuse anybody? That has just been a perplexing text for many, many years. Please notice he talks about the right eye, so he's being specific. The right side of the body in the ancient world was the more honorable side. The right eye, the right ear, the right hand, the right, it's, the right is always the most honorable. He's being specific. He doesn't say if it's bad, put a patch on it. He says if it's bad, gouge it out, throw it in the disposal, crush it up, and send it away. He doesn't say very gently take it out and put it in a bottle of formaldehyde just in case you want to save it and put it back in later. He says get rid of it. Some people think that he was teaching hyperbole, teaching a very extreme way about a very, to emphasize the point. Some folks thought he was talking literally. In the ancient world, was a man named Origen, an ancient church father. He felt so guilty about his sexual sin, he had himself castrated so that he would never, ever commit a sexual sin again. And that got me to thinking. When you come to the Pathway Church, instead of having something called membership, we'll have it called dismembership. 
Yeah. And because when you come here to be spiritually sanctified, right? So that way you will never commit a, a serious sin. So, so if you, what we'll do is we're going to cut out your tongue so you will never speak words of deception or harassment. Uh, we're we're going to cut out your eyes so you will never look at pornography again. You'll never judge someone by how they look. You'll never give someone the look. Uh, we'll cut off your ears. You can never listen to seductive words. Uh, we'll cut off your hands so you can never do any sort of violence violence or promiscuity with them uh, will cut off your legs so you can never walk into an adult bookstore or a massage parlor or the wrong home. Uh, we'll cut off your sexual organs so you can never misuse them. We'll, cut, we'll remove the skin off your body so you never feel your nerve endings in any sort of sensual way. And we will do all this so you can roll into heaven a mutilated stump. <laughs> you may think that's what God intends in the scripture, right? That's not what he's saying at all. The Pharisees thought he was. There was a group of Pharisees that were so, so concerned about looking at a woman. They were falling to lust. They walk around blindfolded, and they would close their eyes if they saw a woman. And they were called the, the battered and the bruised, the, the bleeding Pharisees, because they're always falling into stuff. Because they thought, if I don't look at a woman, I will never lust after her. And that's not what Jesus is saying. That is not the issue at all. That's not the problem. The problem is the last word in verse 28. The problem is circled in my Bible, the heart. Number six, the lustful desires and scars of my heart are the source of any habit, hang up, <coughs> or hurt that enslaves me. Your heart is the innermost part of your being. Your heart is where your first thoughts, your first feelings come out. It's just the response. God doesn't want to take off your eyes or your ears or your hands. He wants to transform your heart. Because your heart gets enslaved by desires. And when you get enslaved by desires, your thinking starts to shrink. It gets narrow, narrow, narrow. If I'm going to have sex with a woman who is not my wife, there are a thousand things I've got to forget. I've got to not think about. I have to not think that that woman is somebody's daughter. If I'm going to look at her, I've got to that's somebody's daughter. I got to forget that if somebody looks at my daughter-in-laws or my, my granddaughters that way, I'll kill them if I see them do it. I have to totally not think about my wife, totally not think about my kids, totally not think about my grandkids, totally not think about God, totally not think about my church. There was a general who lost his job because he was sending illicit, flirtatious texts to an enlisted man's wife. How did that happen? Because desire, the slave to your desire, just caused you to stop thinking. But your will and your little kingdom is God's gift to you that allows you to stop and to think about the bigger picture, to see the bigger understanding, to not be a slave to your desire. And here's the good news. When you step into the kingdom of God, when you step into the light of his kingdom, when you step out of the darkness of hiding, you step into it, there is healing and there is freedom.
even in the area of your sexuality, I don't care what your journey has been. There's freedom and there's healing. A couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago now, I guess, I had a, maybe even longer now, I had a meeting at my house on a Wednesday night. And I asked if someone could think of a story of someone who has a story of sexual sin and redemption, they'd be willing to share their story in worship. And I said, if you know somebody, talk to them and see if they'd be okay with talking to me and just talk about it. Somebody texted me personally that was at that meeting the very next day. And they had felt the nudge of God, both husband and wife. At the same time, they needed to share their story. And so with boldness and courage, here's Chad and Nicole, and here's their story. Cycle. I really felt hopeless. I felt like a failure. The guilt, the shame, the depression. I need to do something about this before it gets a hold of me and it's not going to be a good thing with my marriage, with my kids. Hi, I'm Chad Harkin. I'm a porn addict. This is my story of recovery for the last 30 years. I lost my grandfather when I was eight. He was a close friend of mine. I looked up to him. He was a he was a Christian, something that I aspired to be, and I looked up to that. I just there was this closeness that I had with him. He developed cancer. It was a six month process from the time that they caught it till he passed on. It was hard on me. It was soul crushing. It didn't really turn to any family. For me, it just it left a void. That void just kind of really stayed there for a long time. When I was 12, I was introduced to my first pornographic magazine. It started something inside of me. I thought it filled that void. During that time, from 12 to about 14, there were some hardships with my parents. My dad had lost his job. That kind of put some rift between my parents. I felt like I could just deal with it internally. Porn's always been there, you know? Anytime something goes wrong, anytime I hit a wall, porn's there, my comfort blanket. The addiction was kind of starting to set in. So by the time I was 13, I came across my first pornographic movie. About 2001. Kind of about the time the internet was really coming online. Porn was easy to get a hold of then. So by the time I turned 25, I realized like, hey, you know, this has kind of been going on for the last 12 years. I was trying to get back in the church because I knew there was something there that I was missing. So I wanted to get back in the church and really start going and attending and started meeting people and getting involved with it. Porn is not fulfilling this void like I thought it was. So when I was 25, I was actually baptized in the Baptist church I was attending back home. And it wasn't really about maybe within a week after being baptized that I was going back into the porn world. That was a huge blow. It took me to a low spot. When you get into porn, you start telling yourself a lot of lies. None of them are true, but you start telling yourself that stuff, and, and you start believing it after a while. One of the lies I, I started telling myself was, I'm never going to defeat this. This is just something that I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life. It's another lie I told myself. If I tell somebody, they're not going to understand. Like They're not going to understand what I'm going through. From that point, I started drinking, and the drinking progressed, and it got, it got heavier just to numb some of the feelings that I was dealing with. I'm 29, 30. I don't have anything to show for in life, you know, one failure after another. I can't stop watching porn. I really felt hopeless, like there was no way out. At that point, I considered one night just ending it all. And I was gonna take my life. Luckily, that didn't happen. 
because I drink so much that I black out. I wake up the next morning and I just realize like, hey, this has to be rock bottom. I mean, I can't get it lower than this. I can't keep doing this vicious cycle. I moved to Fort Worth. I was uh, signing this. You know, I really wanted to like meet somebody. I met my wife. We instantly developed a friendship. Within 10 months, we were married. Porn just didn't really seem important to me anymore. So I was like, okay, well maybe this is it. This is, I defeated this. 2017, we actually had a wall in our marriage when my son was born. He was born premature. He ended up going to the NICU. It was kind of touch and go. Like, we didn't have any answers. We didn't know what was going on. After bringing him home, I think the separation that she felt initially from the birth of not being able to bond with Paxton, that put a little bit of a separation between us and our marriage. At that time, I felt alone, you know, because I felt like I, we weren't connecting like we should be. I kind of go back to even when I was eight, you know, feeling that loneliness and that separation. And I'm thinking, man, it's probably been a couple of years since I've actually viewed pornography. There it was, it was available for me. I got into it heavily just like I was before and it probably carried on for a couple of years before I really started doing some soul searching inwards and starting to kind of thinking I need to do something about this before it gets a hold of me and my marriage with my kids. My wife actually recommended that I reach out to a member of the body here at our church. And him and I had multiple conversations, and I was able to open up to him to tell him, like, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what's been going on. It was enough to kind of lift some of that off. Once I was able to finally open up about it after 30 years, things kind of started to come to life. It was no more me hiding in the dark. It was me bringing this into light now. My road to recovery kind of started from that point. That weight had been started to lift and all. And I knew there was going to be more to it going down that road of recovery. It was kind of something in the back of my mind that just kept telling me like, hey, I need to talk to Nicole about this. This has to come out. She needs to know what I'm dealing with, what I've been dealing with, what my struggles are. You know, it's that same lie that you keep telling yourself like she's not going to understand. If you tell her she's going to divorce you, it's just going to be bad. It's going to be bad on the kids. But the more I didn't tell her and the more that it was eating away at me, it put more of a rift between us two because I, she knew there was something there that I needed to open up to her about. And then finally one day, we were having a pretty good intense conversation and her and I were getting a lot of stuff just out on the table. And I, I told myself, I was like, this, this is it, this is the time. I didn't get the reaction I thought I was going to get. I think she was relieved that I finally told her. Now we're walking this journey together. It's no longer me, it's her and I. It's our story. Now she's sharing in this addiction with me. That kind of bonded us back together just after four years of, you know, being so isolated and separated. So now able to open up about things, talk things out, have hard conversations like it wasn't before, but now now we're there. Now the road to recovery is here. Now now we're on it. Now I'm sharing this story with the body. Just getting it all out there in the open now, that weight's lifted. I can't describe to you the, the emotions that come with having that no longer a burden on you. I couldn't have done it if I didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I went to the cross and I put it there because I knew what he did when he died on that cross. He, he took it all on him. I am Chad. I am a son of God. I'm a husband, I'm a father, and I am redeemed by the power and the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ.
Chan is also a hero. Nicole is now a heroine. Because the only reason they share this story is so one of you who's carrying some sort of secret like this is somewhere in your life that's just so dark and painful that you don't have to be held captive. That you can be free. And your children can be free. You can. And that would be just joy for them to know that. Here's the final thing in your message notes. Here's the last thing. Is that sexual sin thrives in secrecy. Healing and freedom thrives in kingdom light. And I will tell you, on this issue, we all need help. There's not a single person in this room that doesn't need help with it. Not a one. Me included. My wife and I, Dallas, we have very open, honest conversations. We have conversations about how to affair-proof and make our marriage safe. All the way down to the kind of way I manage myself at work. She knows how I do it in one-on-ones with females. She has access to my phone. She has my, she has all my passwords to everything. She has it. I have it to her. We have, we talk about it. I have a friend in my life, a longtime friend, knows everything about me. I have no secrets. He has no secrets from me. I hold him accountable. He holds me accountable. He asks me the hard question. I ask him the hard question. I pray for him. He prays for me. And I just want to tell you, there's not a single one of us here on this issue that isn't somebody in our life that has no, we have no secrets. That they love you and they just care for you. And that's available to you. And I want you to know, you have a choice. You have a choice. You can get to the end of your life and look back and see this continuous battle in this area of your life. Of being good and strong and then giving in and guilt and shame. Praying and getting good about it again and then giving in guilt and shame. And you can come to worship over and over and over again and just know that your worship is kind of thwarted because you've got this little dark spot within you that just always continues to weigh you down. Or you can look back upon your life and see your heart has been full of growth and healing because you chose to step into the light of the kingdom of God and allow his grace and truth to shine upon you and to set you free and give you healing. And you get to make that choice because that's your little kingdom and your little will. And I would just ask you, if you need some help, Nicole and Chad are going to be down here by the table at the end of worship just for you to say hello, give them a high five and a fist bump. But if you think that you're something you need to talk about, exchange numbers and you can talk about them about later. They'll meet you and talk with you. Maybe you can talk on the phone, whatever. If you just need a little bit of encouragement, you can talk to one of your pastors. We'll help you find a therapist. We'll help you find a counselor. But most of all, most of all, surrender your will and everything in it to this man named Jesus. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Even in my sexuality. And see what he does. So God, we give you thanks for your goodness. We give you thanks for just how you designed us, male and female, and all the things about our body, the science, the beauty, the wonder, the mystery, the awe. 
just the great thing of God and how you populate the earth and all this sort of thing that just makes two one in a very deep and personal and wonderful way and as a gift. And God, at the same time, I just give you thanks for this thing. It has so much power that has been so destructive in so many people's lives because they've been enslaved by some sort of desire and lust. Set them free, I pray. And after you right now, just privately right where you're sitting, you can say, Lord, please forgive me. Help me shine the light in the dark areas of my life. Bring someone to me, God, that I can share this with, so I can be set free. Heal me, Lord. Your will be done in me. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm praying for you. Please pray for me.